This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.08. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. First up this hour, a group of farmers from Pera marched to Parliament yesterday with a memorandum on food security. So we're getting into it. We will be hearing from uh, people who are part of the movement just in a little bit. But for a little bit of context, this movement um, was supported by Party Socialist Malaysia as well as Lawan Lapa. And the farmers essentially submitted a memorandum that highlights the country's reliance on imports when it comes to meeting domestic food demands. Um, and the aim was to highlight the alarming state of our food security situation. We will, as I said, be speaking very shortly with Ian Yi, co-founder and journalist at The Fourth, as well as Dharma Pillay, co-founder of Undi18, uh, both spearheading the Lawan Lapa movement. But we'd like to hear from you as well. Does Malaysia focus enough on food production? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Now joining us on the line, Ian Yi, co-founder at uh, the Fourth, as well as Dharma Pillay, co-founder of Undi Eighteen, both spearheading the Lawan Lapa movement. So before we get into the demands of uh, the Lawan Lapa memorandum, Dharma, could you talk us through the problems that the march encountered with the police yesterday? What happened and why? All right. Um, so on the 12th of September, um, we um, uh, activists from Lawan Lapa and also Party Socialist Malaysia, um, we organized a, a memorandum handover um, where we wanted to go to parliament, um, speak to representatives from the government um, and also pass over certain key demands that we had um, from the farming community and also from activists towards the government for them to consider. And I think this time is particularly relevant because it is RMK Kedoblas or the 12 Malaysia plan uh, where they're debating um, what is the uh, what are certain policies that, that they should take into account uh, and how they should amend things, right? Uh, especially in regards to food security and agriculture. So as such, um, we have we had already put in our request um, and for me as, as an activist, you know, um, this is something that I've done many, many times before. Sending over a memorandum is not something unfamiliar. It's something that uh, is quite common. Um, and it has been done before in very, very uh, easy, convenient and, uh, and safe, uh, safe manner, right? So all these things have already been done many, many times before. However, what happened on the 12th surprised us. Uh, when we arrived, uh, when I, you know, when I parked my car, uh, I, when I drove past the Tamantogu parking lot area, uh, what I realized was that there were dozens of police cars, and you know, just from an eyeball, there were about fifty to seventy police officers just lined up um, around the area, uh, just being on standby, right? Um, so that was already a one red flag, right? Number two was that once we started uh, coming together and started started to discuss, okay, what's our next step in terms of when do we want to start walking from the Tamantugu um, parking lot area uh, to the to the the front of parliament, right? And again, I want to point out that this is the front of parliament. It's outside of the parliament area. Therefore, this entire situation is under the, the jurisdiction of uh, the police. So what happened was that uh, the police wanted to stop us. Uh, they, in fact, they formed a human chain trying to block us from walking. I also want to point out over here that there is nothing illegal um, for any Malaysian 
to walk on public, you know, on a, on a publicly available facilities on public pavements uh, from Taman Tugu to Parliament. There is absolutely no laws that can or should be able to stop us, and there's no need for permits. However, the police want to stop us using a human chain that they did uh, to try to block us from uh, from moving forward. So after some level of tussle, some level of confrontation, and some level of negotiation, finally we were able to move through um, the police blockade. So the question that I have is that what is so scary about um, you know a group of activists and a group of farmers that came over, right? Um, and these farmers came over from Chemo, from Kantan Pera, came over 200 kilometers just to come over to speak to our parliamentarians. What's so scary about this group of people that you need? 50 to 70 police officers to form a human chain, to form a roadblock, to block them from walking to parliament. So for us, we, you know, it didn't make sense why they were doing that. But that's essentially what happened, right? From a simple memorandum handover event, it became something that was messy, that reflected very poorly on the, uh, on the police department, especially IPD Bangwangi. Ian, despite the obstacles, why was it important for the organisers to continue with the march? I think as Tharma said, uh, that these are all farmers who have traveled quite a long way, right? They're elderly farmers. They've taken time off their work to be there uh, just to make their voice heard, just to participate in democracy, right? To participate in the process of democracy and to let their elected representatives hear their struggles that they're going through. Uh, so we thought it was very important to honor that, to make sure that we continued and we pushed as much as we can so that they have that voice, right? Uh, but secondly, I think it was also really important because this is the Malaysian parliament, right? This is the center of our democracy, the symbol of our democracy. And if we aren't able to bring people there uh, peacefully, safely, to just hand over a memorandum, then I think something's really, really wrong. Uh, so I know the police were there to just to do their jobs. Uh, but it, yes, I think Tharma was right. It was very excessive. There was a lot of them uh, to look just to just to police 10 elderly farmers. It just didn't make sense to us. So I'm glad uh, the activists were there. I think I'm glad Dharma and some of, the, uh, some of the other activists were there to help make sure that the farmers were able to get through. And as a documentary journalist, uh, just filming the whole thing as well, it just felt really, really strange. It just felt really, really heavy-handed. But I'm glad in the end uh, that the farmers made it through. Dharma, so we understand that land matters are under the jurisdiction of the state governments. What's the strategy behind going to parliament for this matter then? So absolutely. Um, under the federal constitution, um, land matters, uh, the ability to sell land, to kurniakan land and all that stuff uh, belongs um, entirely under the, the, the powers of the state government. However, in every matter, um, even if there is significant power by state government, there is ability by federal government to intervene. There is ability to uh, encourage, there's ability to incentivize and also to negotiate, right? Uh, we've seen uh, just recently, just uh, yesterday, there was uh, an announcement by Datu Sri Anwar Ibrahim that there has been a successful negotiation with state governments to achieve certain level of land protection um, for climate purposes, right? Um, so these things are completely feasible. So what we are saying is that this week matters, right? Because it is the discussion of RMK Kedoblas or the 12th Malaysia Plan. So under the 12th Malaysia Plan, it looks at our development or the angles that we are trying to build our country towards. And one of the key elements that is being highlighted is food security. It's being highlighted in terms of uh, agriculture, in terms of farming. So 
there is a lot of relevance to sort of highlight that, yes, you are discussing a lot of fancy ideas um, in reports, um, you know, that look very nice on paper, but this is the lived realities of hundreds, if not thousands, of farmers throughout uh, Malaysia. In this case, we're highlighting the farmers of Perak, but this is a reality in many other places. There are shared stories uh, from many, many states. When we speak to many farmers and even even leaders, members of parliament, and we tell them that this is an issue that the farmers of Perak are facing in their hometown, they'll say, yeah, even in my hometown, um, in a different state, a similar issue is happening. So for us, what we are advocating for is something very clear. We're saying that federal government has a role to intervene and try to encourage state governments to act in a, in a, in a proper manner because this is not just a farmer's issue. This is a food security issue. When it comes to food security, it is a national issue. It is a bread and butter issue. It is a Malaysian issue. We're speaking with Ian Yi and Dharma Pillai, part of the Lawan Lapa movement. Um, and they were they alongside uh, Party Socialist Malaysia, <clears throat> as well as a group of farmers from Pera, yesterday uh, marched to parliament to hand over a memorandum on food security. So we will be picking up the conversation after this. Uh, in the meantime, keep your thoughts coming. Does Malaysia focus enough on food production? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us and keep it here, BFM 89.9. Behold freedom, Malaysia. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.19. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. We're continuing our conversation on, um, well, a... Uh, I suppose what would be called a march yesterday um, to Parliament by a group of farmers from Pera as well as the members of Lawan Lapa um, to make their voices heard about the food security situation. Essentially, a call on the federal government to act on this. Um, we are speaking with Ian Yi, co-founder and journalist at the Fourth, as well as Dharma Pillay, co-founder of Undi Eighteen, who are both part of Lawan Lapa. Ian, could you walk us through the demands that were being made in the memorandum? Right. So uh, from our end, from the Lawan Lapar movement, uh, we're asking for three things. Uh, number one, we're asking for, no, sorry, we're asking for four things. Number one, that the federal government should start looking into creating more permanently gazetted uh, food producing land. Uh, the the term is TKPM, Taman Kakao Pertanian Pengeluaran Makanan. Uh, so I think there needs to be more collaboration between federal and state governments to create that, to uh, create a system for that and for it to be more effective. Second thing is we're looking at uh, improving what they call the TOL system, temporary occupation licenses. So the, these are licenses that the state government gives out to different uh, uh, different sectors. So whether it's fishing or uh, farming, so they get to use the land temporarily uh, for any other anything that benefits uh, the local population. Uh, but the problem with TOLs right now is that it, it only lasts until the end of the calendar year. So you're talking at maximum you're going to get is 12 months this license. Uh, so we feel that obviously this is not advantageous to the to the food producing communities and has to be extended to a maximum of five years. Uh, the third one is we need transparency in land deals. And this is something that uh, at the fourth, we're particularly uh, going to campaign for quite strongly. Uh, there's so much corruption that can happen in state land deals because there is no, no transparency into these deals at all. So whenever the state, uh, whenever any state government tries to sell or alienate land, uh, there is no open tender process. The details of those deals are not publicly accessible. So nobody can hold them accountable for these deals. So we feel that's very, very important. 
uh, not only to ensure that food producing land is manageable, but also to prevent corruption in the first place. And finally, we believe that there should be a, a system for state subsidies so that state governments that are doing the right thing, state governments that are maintaining food producing lands, who are preserving it instead of selling the lands off for development, selling it off to, you know, to fill the coffers, uh, this, the federal government should then step in and give a subsidy to continue preserving that land because the food that comes from that uh, from that land is going to go throughout the country, right? It's not just going to stay in that state. It's going to be moved across uh, state borders. It's going to benefit the rakyat uh, across the country. So the federal government should be uh, should be giving that subsidy. So those are the four uh, demands. But of course, the farmers themselves who are being affected by this, they have very immediate needs as well because they face eviction. This is the life, the only livelihood they've ever had. Most of them are generational farmers. That means they were born into these farms. Some of them were born on the farms themselves um, uh, like, 50, like 60, 70 years ago. So this is the only life they've known. This is the only, these are the skills that they have, very, very valuable skills and knowledge to, to cultivate the Perak landscape and, and to, to make that soil fertile and productive. Uh, so a lot of these farmers, they're asking for the federal government also to step in to acquire the lands that have been sold to private uh, companies and then to gazette them as permanent food producing land and lease it back to the farmers so that this this land that's again, it's already fertile, it's already productive. There's no reason to destroy it. There's no reason to build houses over it when you can build houses in other parts of land. So maintain these farms, the, the housing areas, the industrial areas, you can put that somewhere else. So that's what they're calling for. Right. So what do these uh, projects, these houses... So, Tarma, in many instances, agricultural lands are being converted for housing and industrial purposes, as Ian just mentioned. What does this tell us about the development priorities of many states? For me, uh, it speaks to the corporate capture of uh, government in terms of the government agenda. Because what we can say is this. Um, right now, if you look at um, if you look at last year's data alone, that we in terms of imports, we spent collectively as Malaysians, we spent seventy five point six billion, with a B, right, seventy five billion ringgit on food imports. So if you think about it, um, importing food for us to eat is a huge market, is a huge amount of money, right? Um, but. For some reason, for whatever reason, state governments have opted to not to um, develop their agriculture or their food production industry aggressively. Um, they've been developing agriculture in terms of cash crops. They've been developing, um, you know, housing and industrial purposes. But in this huge market, they've sort of deprioritized it. Right. Um, for me, I think this speaks to, uh, you know, uh, a failure to understand the long term implications of, um, you know, of development policy, that's number one. Number two is, of course, um, uh, in terms of there is potential for corruption, potential for lack of transparency in terms of these kind of land deals that also contribute towards why state governments act in the way that they are doing so. That means they're not looking things at a long term for the sake of uh, the people of their state and also the people of Malaysia, but they're seeing what is the thing that can be that can benefit me in the shortest term possible. Either direct benefit in terms of their, of their own pockets or in terms of saying that, hey, um, in terms of my specific GDP contribution for this next two years or this next three years, we have done X, Y, Z amount. Ian, you know, the fourth recently produced a few videos on the Perak farm evictions. Could you briefly tell us about what you were trying to communicate through them? I think as documentary journalists, uh, we really just want to show people the, the reality, the complex, nuanced reality 
that maybe sometimes people don't see because a lot of times, especially now looking at some of the responses on social media, uh, it's it's a very one-dimensional take. A lot of them are just saying, do these farmers have a land title? If not, then leave lah, right? If not, then you're not a legal owner. The government wants to, to take back the land and leave. But obviously, as we all know, uh, real life is not that simple, right? These are farmers that have been there since before these legal structures were even in place. They were there, some of them, since the 1920s on those lands. And they have been faithfully farming, producing food for, for, for society, producing food for Malaysians. Uh, and then now all these legal systems come, start coming in. Now all these corporate interests start coming in, right? And uh, politics and government comes in. Uh, so I think it's not that, that straightforward. And so what we want to do as, again, as documentary journalists is we bring our cameras there, show people what, uh, you know, peel, just lift the veil and show people what their lives really are like. Most of them, again, are smallholder farmers, elderly. They're not, most of them are not wealthy. And it's true, some of them have done very well and have branched out into other businesses. Uh, but in most cases, they are regular Malaysians in small towns trying to earn an honest living. And they believe, most of them believe very strongly in what they're doing as well in terms of providing food for the nation. Uh, in terms of ensuring that there's food security and food sovereignty. Uh, so that's what we wanted to get across to, to the Malaysian public and even to, the, to an international audience. And we're very lucky, you know, myself and the fourth, we're lucky to be working with Dharma and D18 uh, together with the Bertha Foundation on this. Uh, so obviously, Undi18 has done amazing work in terms of the advocacy. We just hope that we're able to do the farmers' stories justice. And I'm very sure that Dharma and his team are going to obviously knock the advocacy out of the park. Final thoughts? I would like to leave everyone with the story of Mr. and Mrs. Mock. So these are two of farmers that you see in the documentary. We've spent a lot of time with them. We've spent the time with uh, a few dozen farmers who, have, who are going through the same issue, right? But their story kind of stands out to me. They're a husband and wife. They've been working on this farm for their entire lives, literally their entire lives. Uh, and this farm means so much to them. Uh, and just to be able to see them work. So we spend time with them. We ask them, just go about your daily lives. We'll follow you. And they wake up early in the morning before anybody's up. They work all the way in the hot sun. Uh, and, and it's really backworking work. And as we visited their farm, uh, a day after they received an eviction notice. So this was obviously a, a very worrying period for them when there were eviction notices that were erected around their farms. Uh, they were still very calm and they were still very kind. Uh, they're still like, you know, we understand that, you know, the people who are doing this, you know, they've got their needs and they've, you know, they got to do what they got to do. But we feel that the government needs to help us. So that was kind of like what they were saying to us. And what really struck me the most was uh, as we were talking, as we were filming, you know, she, you know, she went to the side and started plucking some vegetables and all that in a small plastic bag. And then obviously, you know, this is just, again, small town Malaysia gave us a whole bunch of, you know, produce and said, bring this back, you know, ask your parents to cook it for you and things like that. Uh, and the, the thing that really stayed with me was she said, this is probably going to be my last harvest. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, and hopefully uh, when we see you next time, things will be better. If not, well, you're always welcome in Berak. Uh, and that's why we named the documentary The Last Harvest. Hopefully these messages get through to the public that we can look beyond uh, sometimes the numbers uh, even though the numbers I feel are still very much stacked on the farmer's side, but we can look be beyond the policy, look beyond uh, the, the politics of it all, and see you know the real social impact uh, these decisions have on, on on Malaysians, hardworking, honest Malaysians who are doing their part for society.
Ian Dharma, thanks for speaking with us today. That was Ian Yee, co-founder and journalist at The Fourth, as well as Dharma Pillay, co-founder of Undi18, both part of the Lawan Lapa movement. Do weigh in. Does Malaysia focus enough on food production? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us and keep it here, BFM 89.9. Budding Fresh Ministers, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is just coming up to 5.39. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. So earlier we heard from uh, the Lawan Lapar folks who were part of a, a contingent of people who marched to Parliament yesterday, including a group of farmers from Pera, to hand over a memorandum highlighting their concerns over food security. So we've been asking you for your thoughts. Does Malaysia focus enough on food production? You can call 77332900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Um, let's see. We do have a voice note that's come in. This is from Shazwan. Hi, guys. Okay, so uh, I actually agreed with uh, Dharma earlier regarding how uh, seriousness uh, government is taking this uh, issue. Because, uh, yeah, as he said earlier, uh, instead of execution or instead of uh, planning or tell everyone about the ideas or how we can manage or how we can do to solve this issue, instead they are giving the fancy ideas that are looking nowhere. Uh, what I mean is when when the farmers community itself get the uh chance to give ideas or give uh, advice how we can uh, make things better. So I don't think this issue will happen because this community is someone that actually execute the plan. So we need to get, we get an idea, an insight from them. And if they themselves are going to the government need to give a memorandum, then I can see that this is not seriously taken. So uh, what government should do if they want to look serious is to go to the this community themselves and then to observe, giving, uh, taking ideas, taking advice from them, what we can do to make things better, to, to, to actually uh, help them in, in, in make sure our uh, food are well uh, managed every every time we are talking about the food price but we never talk about the source how we can manage the source how we can actually uh, sustain the source itself but we always talking about the food food price is hiking and then how we want to make the food food price we we we, uh, we how we we need to manage the food price how we want to you know, no, no, give penalty to the the, the sellers or the the uh, shop that uh, hike the price, but we don't talk about uh, how we want to sustain the food resources from the start. I mean, it's like from the root itself. Shazwan, thank you for that. You know, I agree that um, the farmers really need to be made a bigger part of this conversation. Yeah, I think your central message, Shazwan, is absolutely spot on. Uh, listening to the farmers, this is uh, not a new issue. Uh, farmers have been making representations on this issue. And again, you're also spot on on the question of our fixation with the price of uh, of produce, of, of food, rather than the, the, whole, the whole chain and the whole supply chain, including where 
our food is coming from, whether it's diversified, how much of it's imported. Uh, these things are equally important in the, in the conversation. So a number of people bringing up points about perhaps... I guess misplaced priorities in some senses. Um, so uh, let's see. Uh, CK is saying definitely not enough. Otherwise, we don't even have to import rice from Thailand or vegetables from China. We're focusing too much on planting klapasawet or musangking while we lack the basic food for our own consumption. Kyrie meanwhile says I don't think we do enough to address food security before we even think of other things like low salaries. We really should be tackling this food issue because we don't need high salaries if food is cheap and easily accessible. We don't want Malaysia to be the leader in exporting strawberries, for example. But why can't we make chicken and rice cheap? These two are examples of things that we can produce locally. Most basic needs. Don't even make me start with milk. That seems like a luxury here. Again, milk can be sourced so, uh, locally. Flood the market with rice, chicken, milk and palm cooking oil to drive their price low. Uh, I, I, you know, there's, there's such a complex discussion, and um, but we also know that you know when it comes to things like food, uh, and that's why the loss of farmland, productive farmland, is such a tragedy because it's it's not like pouring cement over something. You just you know you you you, you there's a lead time for creating the farmlands and to make them viable, right? And so um, what shocks me always is, and it comes back to Shazwan's point, right? Why isn't government listening? to the very people who need to sustain the plans that they sort of publish in blueprint after blueprint. Sharul, meanwhile, is saying the Malaysian way to resolve everything. Not enough eggs sourced from overseas. Not enough nurses sourced from overseas. Not enough food definitely sourced from overseas. What's happening to our beloved country? Be very worried. With the current crop of politicians and government, Malaysians should be worried. Well, okay, so that very quickly <laughs> went down the road uh, of blaming this particular government. But we have had a series of governments. And it, you go back to the time of Ahmad, Abdullah Ahmad Badawi and his uh, refocusing on development uh, of agriculture, Malaysian agriculture, something that Dr. Mathe kind of neglected during his long, long, long tenure. And I think uh, we get to the source of the problem, right? This fixation with uh, what they think is modern. And so when you look to a Singapore for instance, interestingly enough, their development of sort of new ideas in food production, you think, why don't we think of food as being something that is also cutting edge? So you're right, Gerard, that actually, um, of course, this government um, ends up bearing the brunt of policies that perhaps it didn't put in place. If we even look at something like the price of rice um, and uh, the criticism that Bernas has been getting off late, those aren't new policies. Um, so these, especially issues of food security, have to do with our approach to agriculture and farming, which has been in place for decades at this point. And some might argue are really ripe for adjustment, um, especially given the global situation when it comes to crops and, and food and so on. Munif is saying, in developed countries, urban farming is incentivized and encouraged by even the local authorities. In Malaysia, pockets of creative urban farms like Kebun Kebun Bangsa get scrutinized by the authorities in the name of legality instead of trying to come up with an amicable collaboration together. An urban farming culture could help so much. We have, wa we have many wasted urban spaces anyway such as under flyovers, strips of land by the rivers or even under power lines, we're always multiple steps behind.
Yeah, I, I like the urban, um, you know, kind of uh, initiatives with the regard to farming. I don't know if it's going to solve the national problem, but it's certainly something you wish your city or your local council would take up and, and encourage, right? And something about actually being close to the land and learning about the soil and plants, I think that just very, uh, sort of opens your mind. But very quickly, I was recently in Kadar and I learned a lot about the Muda uh, scheme where we, we plant rice. And one of the things that bedevil the scheme now with a, an aging population, of farmers and you know and why it is that productivity is low and it's so complicated but it does there are solutions just to close off at least on the side of things um winston is saying food security may i know where their mps are shouldn't their mps be raising this issue at parliament to which winston i believe marching on parliament and handing over a memorandum would be one way to convince them to do that um edwin meanwhile says have the farmers held demonstrations in their state before coming to parliament since this is a land issue if they haven't why not well edwin i do have an answer like i did a quick check and i've also been covering this issue for some uh, years now. So there's a star report from uh, July 2019. Headline reads, Farmers told to clear out after Perak government gives land to football team. <laughs> yes, the farmers have been protesting even at the state level. Keep those thoughts coming. Does Malaysia focus enough on food production? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us and keep it here, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.